Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. We are going to hop into... Um, Ephesians chapter 5, and like always, we're going to be breaking this up um, in some different segments because we've got a lot to get to. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read the first couple of verses real quick. Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to the Lord. Paul's telling us to be imitators of God, which is a really interesting call to believers, um, because, you know, we hear that a lot, like we're made in the image of God, we're called to be imitators of God, but we've talked earlier in Ephesians how God is unlike anything else, um, there's nothing else like him uh, in all of creation, and we look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, and we see this verse that's pretty familiar, then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let him have dominion over fish of the sea and birds of the air and over the heavens, um, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. We talk about being made in the image of God or being imitators of God. We need to understand there's there's some things uh, of God um, that are communicable, his communicable attributes, if you will. Um, we recently came out of a, a global pandemic, and you're probably sick of the word communicable, communicable diseases, blah, 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 all that stuff. But the word communicable means something that is able to be transmitted. Um, and so God has these attributes that are transmittable, if you will, um, and some that are incommunicable. So we use words like omnipotent, um, this idea of God being all-powerful, this uh, word like omniscience, God knows everything um, omnipresent, where God is able to be everywhere um, and anywhere. There's no place that we can go that we can escape God, that God is self-existent. God exists in and of himself, and he always has been and he always will be. And, and we talk about being made in the likeness and the image of God. Some of these attributes of God we are not going to possess. Um, however, there are attributes of God that he does share with us. Um, and it's, it's unlike anything else in creation. That God did not create donkeys in his image. He didn't create fish in his image. That he created man in his image. Um, and we look back at something like Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. We're creating the image and likeness of God. And does that mean that God has two eyes and ears and a nose and a mouth? No. Um, not necessarily. So what does it mean that we're made in his image? It means that we have the capacity to reflect the character of God. Um, we speak of these attributes that we're able to imitate of God. Uh, we look at Galatians 5. He's referring to like these moral attributes of God, like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These communicable attributes that God has bestowed upon his creation. Um, and, and even though we're able to imitate God, we're not able to do it perfectly. And so I'm not going to use examples for every attribute. Let's talk about holiness, right? We're called to be holy. 1 Peter um, 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, we're not going to argue that God is holy, right? That he is set apart from all creation. There's no darkness within him. There's no sin within him. We're called to be holy. Are we going to be holy exactly like God is holy? No. Right? We still sin. Um, However, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, Right, We are able to be holy, not exactly as God is holy. We're called to love as God loves, right? We're not going to love as perfectly as God loves. But what we do is we imitate God in these characteristics because we've been renewed, because we've been purified. First John 3, 3 says, Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That we can imitate God. We can bear his image to the extent that we're able to exhibit certain attributes of God. Not to the fullness of God, because he's unlike anything else, but we have the Spirit of God living inside of us um, and has renewed us and has given us the ability um, to uh, imitate God. And so as regenerate people, as people who have been called, who have been saved, who have been forgiven, justified, that we can possess the capacity to do the same. Um, Paul calls us to imitate God. Uh, in this next section, um, we're going to be flying through Ephesians chapter 5. And so so we go from, you know, like we just hit like one verse right there. Um, and we go to this next section in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. And Paul writes this, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So Paul wraps up chapter 4. We talked about it last week, giving these real practical ways on how to live. Uh, We talked about the first half of Ephesians, chapters 1 and 3 are very theologically um, deep, like have a lot of depth there to it. And then the back half of Ephesians, 4, 5, and 6, talk about this practical application to what he has laid out in the first three chapters. And so in chapter 4, he talks about these, these former ways of living, like, hey, don't be a liar, but instead be honest. Like, the thief um, shouldn't steal anymore, but instead works honestly and goes from stealing to being one that gives away, that shares. And, and so he's, he's talking about these practical ways to live, and he starts chapter 5. But we need to understand, as Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians, to the churches in Asia Minor, it's not like chapter 1, that it's one long letter. And so when we read chapter 4 into chapter 5, we see this kind of natural break um, in our Bibles. But in the letter, he's talking about um, this practical way to live. And then he's saying, hey, be imitators of God. This is what you do. And then he goes on to give even more practical applications as to how we are um, to live. And, and he, he starts in, in verse 3 by saying, hey, there shouldn't be any sexual immorality among you. And we need to understand that um, at the time, see, we need to, like take historical context into consideration because at the time uh first century um the roman empire is still strong still still happening and and ephesus is a a major city now it's in modern day turkey so it's separated from rome but it was a, a, a providential seat for the roman government like it was a big city there was a lot going on there so the culture of rome like infiltrated almost every aspect of, of the kingdom. Like that was part of, of what made the Roman Empire strong was they made sure that the, the people groups that they conquered 
assimilated to their culture. And so in the time um, before, uh, before you know, Christianity really took off, um, we see that, that the sexual activity um, was, was pretty deviant, if you will. Um, that a man could be married to a woman, go and have sex with a prostitute, and it wouldn't be considered adultery. Um, that relationships between owners and slaves or, um, owner or, or men and prostitutes or even men and young boys was, was commonplace, was very permissible. And Paul is writing Ephesians to Gentiles, people who maybe at one time lived this way, where it was just commonplace to be sexually immoral. And so Paul is saying, hey, this is not how you should live. He's reiterating to these Gentile believers that they are not called to live according to culture. It's interesting to note that we read a lot of these, um, these Greek words, pornea, which is where we get this, our word porn, pornography, um, which kind of covers this wide array of sexually immoral behaviors. Um, that word in the Greek isn't mentioned in the book of James. The book of James was written to the tw- 12 tribes who were dispersed. It was a book to um, Jewish believers. Um, the book of Hebrews, uh, that word is only mentioned a couple of times. And, and maybe it's nothing, but maybe there's something to it that the Jewish believers had this background of a pretty high standard of sexual purity. I mean, read Leviticus 18, that the standard for, for the, the Jewish believers was already pretty high. And so it was something that needed to be, you know, hit upon whenever, you know, the, the writers of the New Testament are writing to the Jewish believers, but maybe it didn't need to be as emphasized as it is in Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, because these books are written to Gentile believers who have a culture that's surrounding them and saying, hey, yeah, you're married, but as long as you can, you can go sleep with a prostitute and you're okay, you're just getting rid of those urges. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that, that, that is not how we live anymore. You're separated from the culture. You're called to live above what the world is calling you to do. I mean, he talks to the Romans in Romans chapter 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, commonplace time in the culture, historically speaking, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, very common historically in the cultural um, setting, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Remember, following Christ is about denying yourself. It's about denying these urges and saying, no longer um, am I going to live for myself. I'm crucifying my flesh. It's no longer me, but Christ living in me. Paul goes on to talk about um, a few things. He uses uh, words like uh, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. Um, these things are to be avoided. Again, last week we talked about in, in chapter 4 that Paul says to put away corrupt speech. And I kind of asked, hey, what is, that, what is that marker of corrupt speech? And some of you guys were like, cursing, you know, using inappropriate language. And actually, the, the definition of corrupt um, is, is a lot more broad than just that. It's anything that's worthless speech, anything that's, that has no use. But that's not to be here. And Paul um, hits on this again in chapter 5, and he uses like words like filthiness, which is um, uh, translates to obscenity. Um, he uses uh, the word uh, foolish talk, and I like the translation. It's godless talk. It's silly talk. Um, again, kind of the idea of worthless, holds no value, holds no meaning. Um, and then he uses crude joking, which is just lowbrow humor, right? Potty humor, if you will. Um, that these are out of place 
for believers. And this is convicting for me on, on a couple of sides because it convicts me on what I say, right? That the language that I use, there shouldn't be um, obscenities, there shouldn't be godless talk, there shouldn't be lowbrow, crude humor in my, uh, in my speech, but it also convicts me at what I laugh at, right? What I find humorous. And Paul says that these things are out of place. This Greek word, um, aneko, which is really interesting because it means it's unbecoming. It's discreditable. That when these things come out of your mouth, when they're present in your life, that they're unbecoming and they discredit your witness. They discredit your call that you're a new creation. Ouch. Right? We like to set the bar. Man, I'm doing better than this guy over here. God's like, mm, this is unbecoming of you. This is discrediting your call that you're a new creation whenever these things are present in your life. Paul goes on to, to, to call out some things in Ephesians chapter 5, 6, and 7. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, what things? Sexual morality, foolish talk, crude joking. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. What are these empty words? These empty words that you can follow Christ and have these sins present in your life. But there were there were people saying they were you know giving people assurance. No, you're fine. You're good, right? It's not a big deal. And Paul said, No, no, don't let those people deceive you that these things can be present in your life. Because when these things are present in your life, the wrath of God well, comes upon the sons of disobedience. Right, and so he's saying that that don't be fooled by that. Right? Don't let people assure you that you're good and also don't assure others that they're good because these aren't markers of new creation. And he says don't even be partners with them, which he, he um refers to again in Second Corinthians six, uh thirteen and fifteen, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, what fellowship has light with darkness, what accord has Christ with the devil, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? These people, you have to be mindful of who you are surrounding yourself with. Who are you letting speak into your life? Are they affirming your sins, or are they holding you accountable and trying to lead you to repentance? Because those who affirm, Paul saying, hey, they're headed for destruction. They're sons of disobedience. Paul goes on in, in verses 8 and 9 and says, For at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true, and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Again, here we get this contrast of what we were. We were darkness, but now we're light in Christ. Again, this is a major theme. This idea of being in Christ is a major theme in Ephesians. And as um, children of light, we're called to walk in the light, and in doing so, we discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Now, Paul uses uh, a similar idea in Philippians chapter 2, um, verses 12 through 13. Maybe you've heard this before. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, now so, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Kind of a very similar idea of just try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, and the call is, is that um, as followers of Christ, that we try to discern, we try to work out what is right, we try to work out what is pleasing to the Lord. And the Old Testament saints uh, realize this. You see, um, 
the psalmist in Psalm 104, 34, that um, he hoped his prayer would be pleasing to the Lord. May the meditation be pleasing to him for our rejoice in the Lord. Malachi, um, in chapter 3, wrote, uh, warned that, that standing before God is like standing before a refiner's fire, and it burns away all the impurities. And those that stand in the presence of God, when they are purified, and he's specifically talking about the Levites, the ones who, who went to the temple, that they had to be purified, and then they could offer a sacrifice that pleased the Lord. Paul hopes that his, uh, his ministry pleases the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5. Um, Paul mentions in Philippians 4, Christians who support the work of the gospel um, offer a fragrant offering and a sacrifice that's acceptable to the Lord. And so, you know, I was talking with our youth pastor, um, and he was asking some questions about, hey, what are some, you know, I, I'm trying to give some practical ways on, on how my students can figure out, you know, where they're headed, if they're headed in the right direction. And I, you know, I, I kind of gave him the Bible answers. Hey, a good tree is going to bear good fruit, and a bad tree is going to bear bad fruit. But then I just asked him these questions, man. And, and I asked these a couple weeks ago on a Sunday, man. Do you enjoy spending time in the Word? Do you enjoy spending time in prayer? Do you enjoy spending time um, corporately worshiping? Do you do you despise the sin in your life? Do you love the things that God loves? Right? Are you living to please the Lord? And these practical questions that you can ask yourself and say, hey, like, how am I doing? And if I can say, man, I really enjoy spending time with the Lord. I enjoy worshiping corporately with other believers. I'm living to please the Lord. And you see these marks of conversion in your life. These marks of, of a repentant, um, regenerated person living out the, the call um, to please the Lord. Because people makes it really clear that it's, it's kind of inconceivable that a, a, a saved person would lack a desire to please the Lord. Um, and that this is a consequence of saved. We have this idea that consequences are always bad. No, consequences is just a result of an action. That The consequence of being saved is there's this desire to please the Lord. One of the guys that I listen to and read um, the most, R.C. Sproul, he said there's no way of learning more accurately or quickly about what is pleasing to God than the studying of the Word of God. And you want to find out how to please the Lord? Spend time in the Word of God. He revealed himself to us in the pages of Scripture. And then we see that in, in Romans chapter 12, too, do not be conformed um, to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and accessible and perfect. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21 says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. and Do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but was filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody of the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, verses 17 through 20, again, just really practical applications on how to live. So we're not going to dive too much into that. Um, we're going to look at verse 15 and 16 here. Um, what's the second word in verse 15 right there? Not a trick. Carefully, there it is. Yeah, thank you. Um, we're careful as we walk, um, as we're living. Um, and in this Greek word, um, there it is, uh, is uh, the akribos, uh, which is that we are to walk exactly, diligently, um, and accurately. That we are, that we have to be mindful, um, thoughtful of we walk. 
Um, a lot of people are just like, you know, I'm just going to fly by the seat of my pants. But Paul is saying, hey, that as you are walking, be careful. That you are exactly, accurately following the path that God has laid out for you. Psalm 119 and 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Again, how do we determine how we walk carefully? By living according to the word of God. That we're guiding our steps in line with the word of God. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Paul tells us that we don't live our lives flippantly. We approach it with discernment. Um, and how do you figure out what's right and wrong? Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Um, lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him that we look before we leave. We consider choices. We consider what God wants. We seek out godly wisdom and counsel so that in walking and living, we don't miss steps. Paul's saying the time is short. The days are evil, right? That, that we don't have time to waste by misstepping. And so what do we do? We look carefully where we step and how we live. That we, that we make sure that we are staying on the narrow path. The path is difficult, and you need to be paying attention as you walk that narrow path. I love what the Puritan preacher and, and theologian Jonathan Edwards said. He had these 70 resolutions and uh, um, concerning his life, his, his mission, time management, good works, relationships, all kinds of things. Um, and these, re- these, these resolutions helped shape who he was. And, and he said this. Um, as he began writing them, he said, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, it's a great start, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will, for Christ's sake. And remember to read over these resolutions once a week. And one of the ones that really stuck out to me when I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 he says, I resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it was the last hour of my life. You look carefully how you walk. Not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the best use of time. Man, what a great resolution. As we're, as we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, making the best use of it. If you had one hour left to live, would you do something or would you not do something? Would it be wise or would it be Would it be a careful step or would it be a flippant step? What a great resolution to live by as we are um, um, walking out our everyday life in Christ. And then this last section that we're going to hit, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. We're not going to hit all of it, but kind of some of the main ideas as we're looking at this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might be present, so he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Man, as we're looking at this, if you haven't noticed, it seems that the worldly standards that culture has infiltrated the church 
um, in a lot of different areas. And, and when we look at uh, this passage, when we look at some other ones, we'll have people in the church, um, we'll have prominent people um, that, uh, that, that have a lot of influence, we'll say passages like this are outdated, they're irrelevant, um, but as we're reading the Bible, we have to understand that we are not called to live as the world lives. Um, that God's standards are high and they're contrary to what culture says. And a lot of times, instead of submitting to the Word of God, it's easier to dismiss the parts that we don't as they're irrelevant, they're out of touch. Oh, well, that was in that context in that certain setting. Instead of just saying, this is what the Word of God is calling us and how it's calling us to live. We read this this first verse in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, wives submit to your own husband. And some people will use like a verse like Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, to dismiss it where it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And like, man, we're all one. You know, there's no husband, there's no wife, we're all one. Now, it's true, there is no spiritual distinction when it comes to the children of God that we all share the same salvation, we share the same promises, we share the same inheritances. But when we talk about the roles and functions, God has made distinctions. And I think we talked about this in Ephesians chapter 4, that there's unity in the body, but there's also diversity. There's, there's roles and gifts that God has given in the body of Christ, and there's roles and there's functions that God has given in marriage. And we remember that marriage is this earthly picture of Christ and his bride. And so Paul's saying, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Um, man, since, since the fall, since Adam and Eve sinned, there has been this sinful inclination in the women to usurp man's authority. And there's been a sinful in- inclination in men to put women down. That both parties have been wronged, and Paul is saying no, no, this is the proper structure of how the house should run. Um, and we see that, that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says very similar things um, in his epistles. That, that God is establishing the role and function between a husband and a wife. Now, when wives are called to submit to their husbands, we need to understand that there isn't this, you're inferior to your husband, and husbands, you are superior to your wives, right? The two are one flesh. But there needs to be direction. There needs to be a head that is, is leading the home, just as Christ is leading the church. Remember, it's a earthly picture of Christ and his bride. Um, and without clearly defined roles, there's no uh, direction. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. This Greek word um, of hypotasso is that you willingly function under your husband's leadership. This language isn't used when talking about slaves or, or people being subservient, but that the wife is willingly coming under the authority here, and the key word is apt to the Lord. This is what we miss, right? This is, this is why, why I, I've heard women be like, I don't like this. I don't like that role. So you're telling me that you don't like submitting to Christ. Well, no, no, I wouldn't say that. Well, God in, in his word is saying that you submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And that if, if a wife is unwilling to submit to her husband, then she's unwilling to submit fully to the Lord. And we know that partial submission is no submission at all, Right? that the wife is actually following God's command and thus following Christ. Then Paul talks about to the husbands. Husbands love wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I heard, I've heard you know, women say, I don't want to submit. I don't want to do that. Can I tell you wives aren't called to love their husbands as Christ, as, as Christ loved the church? They're called, not, don't get me wrong, you're called to love your husband. Right? But the way that men are called to love their wives 
is this, this self-sacrificing, self-denial way that Christ loved his bride. And it's not even, it can be taken in the most literal sense where I would lay down my life physically for my wife, absolutely. But how good are we men at, at dying to ourselves on a daily basis? At putting our wives before our own needs and our own and our own desires on a daily basis. We like to think, oh, oh man, I, it's, such, it's so unfair to women submit. Men are called to deny themselves and love their wives as Christ loved the church on a daily basis, surrendering my own self-interest for the good of my wife. Right? For me to demand that my wife submit to me without me willingly surrendering myself for her, I've totally missed what marriage is all about, and in doing so, I misunderstand who Christ is. That there's, again, it's this picture of Christ and his bride. And if I am not willing to lay myself down and um, deny myself for my wife, then I miss what Christ has done for me. And this isn't like when I feel like it. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's many times where I don't feel like it, but it doesn't matter what I feel like. But the truth of God's word trumps my feelings. And for, for me, here for the women, submit as unto the Lord. For the men, it's, it's love your wives as Christ loved the church. That I'm not allowed to be overbearing. I'm not allowed to be abusive. That I don't demand my own way. And how do I know that it doesn't work that way? Because that's not how Christ teaches bride. Christ is not abusive to his bride. He's not overbearing to his bride. He does not demand his own life. He laid down his life for the church. Christ has never used the church for his own pleasure, for He's never insulted her dignity or her integrity. He's never neglected his bride. He's never failed to listen and to take care of his bride. And husbands, we're called to imitate this kind of love. Men, men, women, no one said that living a, a Christ-honoring, Christ-following life would be easy. And, and in fact, it's really difficult to be submissive to your husband, to, to, to deny yourself for your wife. Um, but that doesn't excuse us from what God has called us to do. And, and if you're having difficulty in doing that, seek godly counsel. Seek godly wisdom. Seek out couples who have been married and have a God-honoring marriage. Help them pour into you. Again, this is in the confines of marriage, but then when we talk about being in the body of Christ, that two believers are one, guess what? They're still one in the context of the body of Christ. And so if your marriage isn't healthy, if you're struggling doing this, man, that's what the church is here for. That's all we have connect with. That's all we have people in the church that you can go to that can help you, that can encourage you, that can give you godly counsel in how to live and how to walk in a marriage that honors God in all that we do. Well, that's all for Ephesians chapter 5. Um, we had to get through it a lot, so uh, get through a lot. So apologies if we didn't go as in-depth and we skipped over some things. But um, thank you guys for being here. Next week we're going to hit Ephesians chapter 6. Um, Let's pray, and then, uh, then we'll close out. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for um, your spirit that enables us to imitate you in all that we do. God, I pray that in the way that we live, God, in the way that we interact with um, our coworkers and our friends, honors you, God, but I pray that in our marriages, God, in our relationships um, between husband and wife, God, that we live in a way that we treat each other, God, in a way that honors you. God, in doing so, reflecting um, Christ in his church. God, we thank you. God, thank you that you call us yours. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.
We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.